Welcome to The Advertising Show, America's only radio program focusing on advertising, media, marketing, product development, branding, new media, sales and customer relations. Stay with us for entertaining marketing discussion and our special guest interview. Now, here are your hosts, Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Welcome back to The Advertising Show, our special interview with George Lewis. This is part two today on our Christmas Eve show uh, of The Advertising Show being brought to you by Advertising Age magazine. Visit online at adage.com. The Advertising Show is a big radio midgets uh, production. As I said, we've got George coming up here to, uh, shortly. Oh, man, the guy is great. You're going to have fun listening to this. He has so many stories to tell. We have so little time, so there's only a few stories here, but they're all well worth uh, listening to as well. So, uh, welcome back. Glad to have you with us. And uh, what are you doing this weekend? Well, uh, some last-minute shopping. <laughs> shopping? Okay. No, actually, I, I'm done. I, I don't do that anymore. There was a time in my life that uh, I would get out there with the last-minute shoppers, but that's not no. been a part of my life for many years. I don't. I, I used to like that, no. and then it no, became a real no, hassle, no, and like no, I don't no. do that anymore. A funny uh, Christmas story. We had a, an old, it's a 12-foot Christmas tree. We've had it for many, many years. It's up on the third floor of our home, which is the attic, of course, uh, way in the back corner of the attic. So I trek on up there to get this thing down, and it is musty and dirty, and my It's been God. a while since you had it out, just yeah. from last year. Well, no, we hadn't used it in a couple of years. Yeah. So uh, needless to say, I, I hauled it outside. Now I have a 12-foot Christmas tree assembled in my driveway, mm-hmm. and I'm using my leaf blower to blow it off. It's all dusty and dirty. And then I thought, well, you know, it's probably a good idea to to deodorize this thing, too. So I bought a whole bunch of uh, Lysol, uh, the kind that kills 99.9% of all bacteria. Mm -hmm. And I'm spraying every branch of this doggone tree. It must look (laughs) really funny. I'm on a ladder in my driveway spraying a Christmas tree with Lysol. People are thinking you're flocking it, but you're not really flocking it. You're you're spraying it. They think I'm flocking nuts, basically. (laughs) But uh, So then I get it all done. I, I disassemble it, and I bring it in the house. And now what do I have? I've got a 12-foot air freshener in my living room. <laughs> this thing smells and it won't still, go away. And still it's smells. Not, oh, it still smells. Yeah. And it's not the holiday scent. It's no. the it's the country fresh scent. That's funny. So, you know, it smells like a, it smells like a car. Well, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting because yeah, most people, you know, have the Christmas tree on the uh, little cardboard piece that hangs from the I rear view mirror. I have real thing. Yeah, yeah well, that's yeah. interesting. I don't suggest you do that. Too bad you couldn't get the evergreen uh, spray. Could have, you know, accomplished two in one. Would have been nice, yeah. but no, it's country fresh. Yeah. So I'm real happy about that. And you don't live in the country. No, I don't. I, no. I live in the suburbs here. Yeah. What do you have there? Well, you know, uh, you mentioned last uh, week about the growth of uh, Internet uh, online advertising. Of course, no secret. Out-of-home advertising, Ray, jumped a, a 13.1% in October. These are just most recent numbers then, even though this is late December, according to uh, figures from the uh, Outdoor Advertising. Association of America, out-of-home advertising is up 9.1% year-to-date, hmm. and the industry is expected in the year uh, up between 8 to 9%, close to $7 billion, second only to the Internet. So, you know, oh, outdoor is hot, and uh, we've made that comment before. Yeah. And of all the media that seems to be losing to uh, to um, Internet, uh, online advertising, it seems that outdoor is holding its own. 
How very interesting. Yeah. I can understand that, though. That makes a lot, an awful lot really of sense. It really does, yeah. Good for them, too. It's a good organization. Wish more people would do it. It's uh, Especially when used right, it's great. When used right. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And that, <laughs> that's another show. Right. Okay. Uh, considering the fact that we are smack dab in the middle of the holidays here, uh, the USA Network mixing it up with Tanqueray London Dry Gin. Mm. Okay, that's fine. That's your favorite. In- introducing, um, no, not actually. No? Bombay Sapphire. Okay, but it is gin. Uh, a new vignette uh, showcase featuring Spirits uh, spokesperson Tony Sinclair, which is a really funny guy, uh, basically as USA's first character undercovered, uh, Tanqueray and its live-action pitchmen will appear in a pair of uh, 30-second vignettes that will air in primetime and late night uh, all the way through uh, all the way through the Christmas holiday hmm. season as well. So it's kind of cool yeah. what they're doing there. Are they using the green bottle in some uh, significant way, or it doesn't reference that? Uh, it does not say, but I would assume that uh, that would be part of that whole plan. Yeah. That's yeah, And I see the uh, Bombay Sapphire uh, sitting there in the console in your studio is not green, <laughs> but clear. That's empty. Yeah. And empty. No. No, that's not true. Let's uh, let's do, uh, we've got uh, Jeffrey Gittimer here with us here, our uh, sales trainer. And uh, speaking engagements, speaking engagements a good thing? You better believe they are. Let's listen. Quick Takes on Sales and Customer Relations with Jeffrey Gittimer, nationally syndicated columnist in the network of city business journals and other great publications worldwide. If you're offended by common sense commentary, don't you dare listen. Now, here's Jeffrey. Hey, sales cowboy, come here. You want 50 new leads a week? Give a free speech at a civic group. So many salespeople are looking to emerge they're frantically trying to market themselves from brochures or direct mail or some kind of cold calling or some kind of trolling for leads at a networking event. <laughs> Expensive frustration. The best way to market yourself is to give yourself to the market. Expose yourself to prospects. My advice is free speech or, to put it in a clearer way, speak for free. Free speech pays big pay and Big speech has big rewards. Big rewards. Now, I didn't say sales pitch. I said speech. Interested? Well, all you have to do is just contact any civic organization in your city. Rotary, Kiwanis. Come on. They're dying for a good talk. Every week they're looking for good speakers. And it sure beats cold calling. Oh, Jeffrey, I'm not very good at speaking. I'm afraid to speak. No, no. You're just unprepared. If you want to get prepared, just join Toastmasters and then give a 15-minute talk at a Rotary Club or a Qantas Club, and you're going to get leads. I'll give you an example. If you're a life insurance salesperson and you want to talk to people about life insurance, no one wants to talk to you. But if you go to a Qantas Club and say, hey, everyone's going to die. The only question is when. And when you do die, who do you want to get your money? Your family? or the government. Give them five ways to get the money in their own family or keep the money in their own family and have them put the word money on the back of their business card and give it to you. That would be a lead. That would be a lead from a speech. You could probably get 10 leads a day. Speak for free. It pays. Quick takes on sales and customer relations from The Advertising Show, the only radio show in America featuring Jeffrey Gittimer as a regular weekly guest. To learn more about his books, tapes, CDs, and speaking engagements, log on to Gittimer.com, G-I-T-O-M-E-R.com. 
And tune in next week when we'll hear Jeffrey say, This is Jeffrey Gittimer reminding you that if no one responds to your ad, it may be because your ad sucks. Just a few minutes away from our second uh, interview, part two of uh, the George Lois interview. George has a brand new book out. It's called, uh, what is it, Ali Rap, Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion. This is an unusual book. It is square. Well, it's a rectangle, but it's small, mm-hmm. but it's huge. It's got 600 pages crammed into what, about a four by... Uh, Seven, eight, something. Yeah, four yeah. by eight uh, format. And yeah. It's, it's kind of cool. And what would you expect? It's George Lois, right? It is, and it's very well done. And it's, uh, you know, if you enjoyed last week's show, we're going to get more into that uh, this week. And gosh, I, I got to tell you, uh, it shows a side of Ali. And of course, you've got the art direction of, of George uh, being played out there. But it shows a side of Ali I think a lot of people maybe missed during his uh, tremendous boxing career. Yeah. And that's the social contribution that he made. And, and really, George does a great job of capturing what was going on back in the 60s. Oh, yeah, absolutely. George Lois coming up next on the Advertising Show. Hey, by the way, the Advertising Show powered by Shipple.com. That's S-C-H-I-P-U-L.com. And a great program called Tendency, which uh, provides us marketing power as well. Check it out. Make your advertising dollars work smarter. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Schillens and Brad Forsyth. You are like no other babe ever born. You're fabulous, babe. You know how to reach out and show your love, babe. You're fabulous, babe. You're one of the boys, but you are a real girl, babe. You're fabulous, babe. You're a beautiful thing to be close to, babe. And then she reached out and slapped the announcer guy. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, as we promised, we have uh, part two of our interview uh, back with uh, George Lois, legendary art director, author of the uh, Ali Rap, Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion of rap. This is a big book in a very small way. If you know what I'm saying, it's like a little bit big. It's kind of a thing. Hey, George, welcome back. So good to have you here back on the Advertising Show. It's great to be back. Yeah, and if you were with us last week and you heard some great stories and a, a lot about about the uh, the new book out by uh, George Lois Ali Rapp, uh, published on Tashin. George, uh, you know, for, and by the way, listeners, if, if there's something that if you've ever followed Ali's career and you're a, a sports fan, uh, whether you huge, yeah, it was huge. And if you're too too uh, young to follow his, his career live, I'm sure you're familiar with it through uh, the wonders of videotape. But I got to tell you, this book uh, it, it it strikes such an unusual approach in that it gives you really a behind the scenes look at, at Ali and, and, you know, you being a, a designer, uh, a world-class designer, as well as a, a writer, I'm curious, George, you edited and and yet uh, also uh, designed the entire book. How in the world did you dig up all these quotes? I understand there's some over 300 of these included in the book. Well, um, you know, I, as I said, you know, when I, uh, in comparison to the book that Tashin had first produced, which had every word ever written about him, you know, in this humongous book, I wanted to do a book that, uh, first of all, I wanted to do a, a, a an affordable book, you know, that almost anybody could buy, you know, and I, I really... It really was an act of passion, uh, you know, and uh, uh, and of, uh, of tribute to Ali because I really wanted everybody, even everybody loves him. But you know, a lot of these, a lot of people don't. I'm not sure a lot of people you know know why they love him. Almost, you know, I, I just wanted to get his whole life story down. So I wanted to do an autobiography in a sense that it's his words from the beginning to end, starting with the first words he said in in life, the first words sounds he made in life was was GG GG. I mean, I was with his mother a couple of times, him and his mother a couple of times, and he called his mother Mama Bird, and 
she'd, she'd say, she'd say, Gigi, do this and Gigi, do that, you know. And I said, well, what's, do, what's with the Gigi? And she said, well, those were the first sounds out of, out of Cassius's mouth, Gigi. Hmm. And, and the years later, Muhammad said, uh, said uh, you know, I was, too, what I, I was trying to tell my mo mama bird that Gigi meant golden gloves. <laughs> <laughs> so I started with his first words. I mean, the next spread in the book, and I, and I visualize it. You know, I visualize that, that, uh, that one with a pacifier. You know, uh, you know, so I wanted to do the story of his life with his words and, and visualize each each line and each spread that somehow, uh, you know, um, nailed uh, what he was saying. For instance, uh, the, the next uh, page, the next spread, uh, there's a picture of a, of a, of a six-month-old baby, uh, baby's uh, hand of in, in making a fist. And uh, the, uh, his quote is, uh, is, the first person I knocked out was my, mo my, uh, was my mother, my mom. Uh, <laughs> he literally, when he, this is a true story, when he was six months old, he was swinging his hands around, and he had a fist, and he hit his, his, his mama bird in the mouth and knocked out her two front teeth. <laughs> true story. Oh, wow. So I go from there, and I tell the story. Then, you know, a couple of spreads later, I show the bicycle that he uh, that he had that was stolen. You know, his father gave him a bicycle when he was uh, 13, like uh, 12 years old, and uh, and he uh, and he, it was stolen the day he gave it him. And he ran down to the police station, screaming and yelling. You know, and he's screaming at these white cops in the in the Jim Crow South. I'm gonna whoop whoever stole my bike. I'm gonna whoop. I'm gonna. <laughs> and the cop and, uh, and and there was a cop there by the name of Joe Martin. And he said, young man, you know, you, you know how to fight? He said, I'm going to whoop whoever you know. He said, young man, you better learn how to fight. And Joe Martin took him aside, because he had a little uh, gym, uh, you know, uh, in his off when he wasn't working. And Joe Martin taught him how to fight. And that's how Muhammad Ali became, how Cassius Clay became a fighter. You know, uh, we talk about Muhammad, and it's, uh, he's a great subject to talk about, but I want to take a, a moment and talk a little bit about this wonderful art direction and, and uh, visual selections and graphic treatment that you uh, have uh, executed here in this book. Now, obviously, there's some consistency with regard to some typefaces and quotes that you use, and yet there's some diversion from, uh, from uh, what is uh, a consistent treatment of type where it really expresses you, George. I'm curious, how did you come about? I mean, did you did you post these pages on like a storyboard and decide what order they were going to go in and, and then uh, play with type on each page? How, how did you go about this? Basically, I uh, basically I edited it in, in a sense that I, uh, from my memory and from and from research and from talking to some other people who know, knew Ali uh, even better than I did. I gathered quotes and I edited uh, and I wrote and I put it down in a in a way where I know, knew from the beginning to the end, from the from the first spread to the 300 spread. If you went through each spread, you really understood his wit, his passion, his spirituality, you know, his uh, his humanity, his incredible uh, you know humor. Etc. I, I, I just wanted every facet of his life, and so I did it first by getting the lines that I wanted to talk about, and then as I was as I was doing them, I I nail I tried to nail each quote with a visual that that where sometimes one and one became three. I mean, for instance, uh, 
uh, when uh, he changed his name uh, and his religion uh, to Muhammad Ali, and uh, oh, he took, uh, I can't believe, you can't believe the hell he took for it. I mean, his friends hate, you know, people, sports writers who like, who, lo- who loved him, you know, turned against. Uh, Howard Cassell supposed to be his pal. Uh, for a couple of months, uh, really roughed him up. You know, I mean, hmm. Howard never admitted it later in his life, but it's all over. It's all over ABC tape. Right. Uh, and for instance, and he came out, and one day Muhammad said, um, and I remember when he did it, I, I, he stunned me. He said, um, he, he said, I, he said, I am America. I am the past you won't recognize, but get used to me. Black, confident, cocky. My name, not yours. My religion, not yours. My goal, my own. Get used to me. Mm-hmm. And what I did with that quote is uh, the the great James Montgomery flag, uh, uh, you know, um, a poster of, of Uncle Sam pointing right at the audience, uh, saying, "I want uh, you know, uh, you know, I want you for the U.S. Army." Uh, I, I, leaving his white hand and leaving the white hair, said I just put Muhammad, uh, Muhammad Ali's face right smack under uh, under the Uncle Sam hat. So you got Uncle Sam. So you got Muhammad Ali, who magically is Uncle Sam, except he's not really Uncle Sam because he's got that white hand saying, "I am America." And when you look at the quote, the visual along with the quote, it kind of knocks you down a little bit. You know. Mm-hmm. So what I tried to do is uh, do visuals. Uh, you know his great, his very, very, very famous quote, which is, uh, you know, no, no Vietnamese ever called me nigger. You know, mm-hmm. which is a tough word. You know, but uh, mm-hmm. he made it. He made. He dug it into everybody's. He dug when he said the word. He dug it into a, a white America's uh, ribs. You know, mm-hmm. and and along and what I showed with it is a um, is a a. a, a Kind of a, uh, a musical uh, uh, sheet music, etc., uh, uh, and uh, of a book that said uh, from the twenties uh, you know, or thirties that said uh, w- with the stereotype drawings on it that says, and there was ten little niggers. Uh, a, a book, by the way, that I uh, uh, and, and books like that, by the way, which I grew up with in, in New York, and in, in, uh, you know, back then. I mean, uh, those kind of that kind of racial stereotyping and and terrible, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, racist stuff was uh, rampant, right? Uh, yeah. All over, but certainly in the South, you know. Mm-hmm. So when I so when you read the quote of him saying, you know, no Vietnamese ever called me nigger, and you see. Proof positive, in, in, in right in your face, what he, he's talking about, what he grew up with in the Jim Crow South, and what he grew up with in America. It really is. It really is like a punch in the mouth. So I tried to do visuals that that really um, that really hurt, that hurt your gut, you know. And at the same time, uh, you know, when he talks about uh, when he did the when there's lines like uh, when he said about um, Howard Cassell, he says sometimes I wish Howard Cassell was a fire plug and I was a dog. You know, when he said lies like that, I show a dog peeing on a, a fire plug. You know, it's pretty <laughs> funny stuff. You know, so the important thing for me was uh, not just telling his story with his words, but uh, but you know, adding the graphic punch that I, uh, you know, it's uh, you know, you could show Muhammad Ali on the cover of Esquire magazine and say, 
you know, you know, it's, it's a shame what we're doing to this guy. But I don't, I didn't have to say a word with that. I just put arrows in him and said, and made him a, his visual. You know, he was the 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 absolute, uh, you know, symbolism of, uh, of of martyrdom. And I was saying basically, Muhammad Ali is a martyr. And in the same way I do it, I did it, I did that on the Esquire covers. You know, I I I did it with the uh, with the book. If you go look through it. So, so it's a it's a kind of a, a joyous kind of a of a of a walk through his life through his words, with the addition of um, of, of somebody who was able to watch him and to uh, and to respect and revere what he did and to enjoy his humor. Our special guest here on the advertising show is George Lois, legendary art director and author Ali Rap Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion of rap. And you want to hear more? I bet you do. Stay with us. Make informed decisions about your company's advertising strategy. This is The Advertising Show. Norman, there's something I have to tell you. It's my breath. No, it's your feet. Summer 72. Norman Lassiter has hot, sweaty feet. Stinky feet. His socks. Yeah, they couldn't say that back like then. It's <laughs> <laughs> Rachel and Brad Forsyth here on the Advertising Show, our very special guest. And one more segment with uh, George Lois, uh, the book. You've you got to get this book. Listen, it's not too late, okay? It's Ali Rap, Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion of rap. You probably saw it on ESPN television, as, as we all did. But, uh, George, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me again. Yeah, and uh, encourage you to go, go, go to Amazon.com. Check this book out, Ali Rap by uh, George. George Lois is a fantastic read. And as you were describing last segment, George, I mean, it's not only a, a great historical review and, and quotes included of uh, Muhammad Ali's career, but it really is a slice of, uh, of, of society and, and yeah. culture and what was going on back in the 60s. And I think a lot of people, maybe a lot of people, missed uh, Ali's uh, uh, social commentary and, and what he did as a, as a man uh, involved in more oh, than just sense, uh, yeah. fighting. Yeah. But before we uh, talk more about that, I'm curious. You know, rappers today, they're all over the place. I mean, uh, you know, it, it was once uh, something that uh, evolved here, I guess, in the last 15-plus years, and, and now uh, rap is uh, pretty much mainstream. I'm curious, George, uh, any reaction from uh, rappers when you call Ali the first heavyweight champion. Oh yeah, right? no, I, I tell you, it's, it's, a, it, I, it's, it's so much fun. I, I first of all, let, let me tell you, um, you know, when I when I told I, a couple of segments ago, I told you and I told my wife, I'm going to do not only do a book on, on Muhammad Ali, but I'm going to do a book. Uh, I, I'm going to call it Ali Rap. Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion of rap, and she said. Wow, that's interesting. He was like a, you think he was like a rapper. I said, well, let me tell you a story. And I told her when I was in 1975, I had gone down. Uh, I was uh, Muhammad and I were very involved in trying to get Ruben Hurricane caught out of jail. Uh, he uh, he helped me out, uh, and he was very much uh, believed in, in, in Ruben Carter. But he helped me out by being my chairman because once I announced to everybody to the world that he was the chairman, I was able to make phone calls to to celebrities and be able to to uh, uh, get them uh, to be involved in, in, in the committee to help the Ruben Carter. So I was down in, in Miami to see Ruben. 
Cuban. Um, it was uh, he was he was training for, to fight the uh, Ron Lyle, and I went down there to talk to him about some uh, other strategic plans on 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 on, on, on marches and stuff and raising hell uh, uh, you know, to bring the the case to the, to the public, which we were doing. And we're driving in a car, and uh, Bundy Brown was driving, and there was a convertible. It was there in Miami, beautiful day, and there was rap music on. It was '75, and I guess it was about the time that rap was getting popular. And uh, and and uh, he says, and he says, shush. And he was listening to the words. I I couldn't make out what I still can't make out the words you know, of most rappers. Right. And um, and uh, it, it was over. And I say, hey, Muhammad. I said, hey, Muhammad. You know, uh, you know, you're a rapper. And he said, and he thought about it for a second. He said, hey, George. I'm a double rapper. <laughs> First, I wrapped them with my mouth. Yeah. Then I wrapped them in the mouth. <laughs> I, I, you know, I'll never forget the statement. That was the first rap thing, you know, connotation I ever had, you know, with him. So, wow. But you know, when I said it to my wife, I'm gonna, because yeah, he was the first rapper. I mean, I really meant it, but I didn't mean it literally. But I meant it, you know, in that point of view, and. And, and doing my and doing research, uh, you know, and, and this was without talking to any rappers. And doing research, I find a quote from Barry Gordy, you know, who wasn't a rapper but a, a great, great producer, you know, Motown, etc. And Barry Gordy, I find a quote from him about ten years ago that said, "Ali was rapping before they called it rap." Mm -hmm. And then at that point, I had the nerve to go to some rappers. I went to uh, uh, people like Jay-Z and, and Chuck D, and I said, hey, I'm, you know, I'm going to do a book called Alley Rap, you know. And they said, what? He, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, alone, one guy said, uh, what? Alley Rap, Muhammad Ali, the first ever champion of rap. Yeah, right, he was, you know, it was, yeah, without Ali, there wouldn't be rap. Yeah, he was our spirit, he was our, it was the rhyming, it was the attitude, it was the, it was the humor, and they, and, goes, and they get so excited. I did the same thing with, uh, with, uh, with Chuck D, the same reaction. Yeah, uh, it, it, they, they sit there for a second, they were stunned, mm -hmm. and then they leaped in. And, and, and it was so easy to get, ESPN had no trouble when they did uh, produce that the TV special, uh, you know, based on Ali, on, the, on the, the concept of Ali Rap. They had no trouble going to rappers and, t and saying Ali Rap, and, every, and everybody saying, yeah, everyone, everyone. I mean, more than, they even had some guy on the, on the Ali uh, Rap show say, uh, a, radio, a, a rap producer say, something which I would never have gone that far to say. He said, he said without Ali, there would have been no rap. I mean, you know, yeah. so the the reaction, uh, you know, it, 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 it just somehow stunned, uh, somehow Ali's attitude, et cetera, and the, of course the rhyming. It wasn't just the uh, his uh, shooting his mouth off, you know, and, and saying funny things. It was that sometimes some incredible rhyming, really uh, uh, br brutally funny, uh, that really um, inspired them as young as young men. You know, the old, the younger rappers today, you know, maybe the very, very young guys, uh, you know, but even them, you know, I, I have a grandson who's a rapper, who's a, uh, a, a DJ, um, 
uh, he's a, a young a black man whose uh, his father and mother died when he you know when he, they were 16, when he was sixteen years old. And uh, when I told him about it when he about, you know about a year ago, and he's one of the great uh, DJs uh, in the country. His, his, he goes under the name Ruckus, and he's he actually he's like my son. Mm-hmm. And I, when I told him about Ali Rap, I didn't. I mean, and, he, and again, he's like twenty one years old. When I said Ali Rap, he said yeah, and he did the same thing. George, so, so it was incredible that they their reaction to it was. I mean, I, I was like doing it symbolically, and they're right. telling me no huh. specifically. All right. Yeah. You know, George, you would know the answer to this. That's very interesting. You hanging out with Jay Z and Chuck D and and all those people that are current uh, big stars in the rap industry. A lot of what uh, Muhammad said and was quoted, it seems like was pretty much off the cuff and was not pre pre written or pre determined. Did you find that to be the case? His best stuff was uh, was sound bites that he that he came up with at that. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I love some of the great some of the poetry that he sat down. You know, and when I say poetry, he sat down and worked on this. I saw him many times. You know, with, with pad and pencil, writing. You know, talking to himself. You know, when uh, but uh, but really, his great great lines are like uh, you know somebody saying uh, uh, you, you know uh, you, uh, sports writer said uh, hey, hey, Muhammad uh, you know uh, you golfer he said I'm the best uh, but I just haven't played yet <laughs> <laughs> you know and, and I, I was there when he said that that I said where the hell did you come up with that line he said. What line? Yeah, he, yeah. He, he, natural. he didn't yeah. even realize he said it. You know yeah. what I mean? And one of the quotes here I'm looking at: "Nothing is wrong, but something ain't right." Oh, I, well, I think that's almost a mantra. It, it really is. I, I really do. I mean, I don't. It's not. It's almost. It's you know. It's it's an incredibly funny line, but it's not. It's yeah. a serious line. Yeah. It could be a mantra. It certainly was a mantra for a, a, a young a, a boy who grew up in the in the Jim Crow South, where you know nothing. You know. You know. Nothing's wrong. But something ain't right, man. You know, I mean, uh, it, it's like it's like when uh, when Bush became president and, he, and and they gave him the right to go to war. He said, something, nothing's wrong, but something ain't right. You know, whoa. Right, right, right. You know, right. I mean, it's a great, great line, and and uh, it's it's also something that he said off the cuff. You know, somebody said, "Yeah, what any probably out there?" He said, "Nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong, but something ain't right." Yeah, you know, you. So, you, so you know, a lot of the great, I think, his best lines were these impromptu lines that would uh, that were sound bites that just knock you down. Right, and you you show a photo on one page and a quote another, uh, and it's uh, a conversation that Ali's having with uh, Andy Warhol, where he says. I started making uh, $4 for my first fight, but imagine paying 25000 for a painting. Look at me, white people going to pay 25000 for my picture. <laughs> I mean, what a comment about Well, I uh, mean, here's, uh, here's Andy who, uh, uh, who uh, you know, at the time that he got Ali to post for him, Ali had been a, it was a giant star, you know, a superstar, maybe, you know, the, you know, the most important person in the in, uh, you know, celebrity in the world. And he, uh, Andy talked to me about about all this because I, I I did an Esquire I knew him pretty well I did Esquire cover him of him drowning in a, in a giant can of tomato soup I don't know if you remember that you know? yeah and and, oh, uh, yeah. and I said um, and he said um, you know I was so nervous I was so nervous talking when I I got him to pose for me and I took these Polaroids I was so nervous I was so excited because he's the most one fantastic person that said it said it said it and so he takes the Polaroids of him. Uh, you know the way he always did, uh, and then somehow he turned it into art. You know, with the with the 
with the blow-ups he did, and then he painted him, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and he, then he invited Ali to come see, to come see him, and he gave him a painting, and uh, he said, well, well, and Ali asked him, how much, how much they're going for? And he said, well, you know, he was a little embarrassed, $25,000. And he, and he was so excited, $25,000 for me, you know, it was wonderful, you know. It's just incredible, you know. It was like when he first, when Ali first, when he was Cassius Clay and he came to New York City, uh, it, just before he went to the uh, to the Olympics, uh, he was gonna uh, he uh, and, and it was Dick well, Dick Shaft, the, the uh, sports writer, was a good buddy of mine, and Dick Shaft takes him to the uh, uh, now he's he's still an amateur, you know, and he's, and he's about to fight uh, in the Olympics uh, in Rome. Uh, so, he, but he takes him a couple of days before he he, he left Rome, and he takes him to Jack Dempsey, and he sees this big gigantic cheesecake you know does humongous and 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 and, and dick shep says uh look at that that's the best cheesecake in the world and he said whoa wow his eyes went wow he said do we have to buy the whole thing or can i just have a little slice <laughs> you know? i mean you know what i mean it, it's like he was so naive because he was this young Kid from the from the Jim Costa, he he uh, he goes up to Harlem. You know, this is and he's he's 18 years old now. He goes up to Harlem and he's and he hears a guy. Back in those days, they had uh, like a, a, a you know stairs. Uh, it's not just a soapbox. You could go. It was a place on on 125th Street and Lenox Avenue around there somewhere where you can literally go up there and anybody go up there and just shoot their mouths off. You know, right. like free speech. You know, it was a, a marvelous uh, situation. And some guy went up there. And he's screaming and yelling, and he's telling everybody not to buy in white stores because, because they're, they're, you know, not to buy in white merchants. They're, and Muhammad and Cash is listening to this thing, and he and he says to uh, to Dick Shap, "Boy, isn't he going to get in trouble? Isn't somebody going to arrest him? You know, I mean, that's a, that's a, 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 a young kid going up to the Jim Crow South." There's a lot of stuff in the uh, 600 pages of this book, and we suggest you go out and get it. Ali Rap, Muhammad Ali, the first heavyweight champion of rap. George, you are an incredible person and a most wonderful guest, and thank you for taking time out of this holiday season to be with us here on The Advertising Show. Thanks, fellas. Thanks. I love talking to you guys. You're listening to The Advertising Show with Ray Shillins and Brad Forsyth. Another public service announcement from Brill Cream. Men, beware. Use one dab of Brill Cream. Just a little dab makes your hair look excitingly clean, disturbingly healthy. This man dared to use two dabs. Now he's in trouble. <laughs> With the TSA people, he took two dabs to the airport. And didn't keep it in a plastic and bag. And set his head on fire. <laughs> yeah. Right, exactly. George was great, as always. Oh, yeah. What's to say? You know, this would be an interview that you'd probably want to say, you know, you ought to listen to this thing. Listen to this guy, because... If you're in advertising or marketing, or even if you're not in advertising or marketing, this guy has a lot of good stuff to say. And, uh, too bad we couldn't have recorded what he said off the air. Yeah, well, that's probably <laughs> illegal. <laughs> George is a funny guy. Yeah. Uh, Ellis Booker is going to be with us. Uh, Ellis is also a past guest on the advertising show, and Ellis uh, is is editor of B2B Magazine. He'll be with us next week. He has no books, right? No books. No books, so just a, a good old conversation with well, Ellis. Well, and, you know, it's uh, great for Ellis because he's going to give us, you know, a little reflection 
description of uh, what's been going on throughout the year of 06 with some of the highlights that were reported on B2B Magazine. And, you know, if you're into business-to-business marketing, uh, uh, that'll be a show you don't want to miss. And he's also going to be talking about trends and and projections for what to expect in 07. So it should be an interesting show. And you can listen to it while you're still sober. Because it does air at 5 Eastern. True. On the Internet on December the 31st, So, or unless you've been drinking already. <laughs> right. Or if you're listening through your podcast-like podcast. device. It's, it could be 07 already. could be hungover. So <laughs> you could still be hungover. That's right. exactly right. right. Walmart uh, is changing the way they do things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Walmart guy Thank you, out. Julie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the, uh, the, it's, it's basically, is it back to the smiley face for Walmart, Walmart and the, the answer to that would be, yeah, probably so. Yeah, maybe. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Uh, that's a question Madison Avenue uh, is looking at uh, after uh, the sudden departure of Julie, uh, the senior VP. Did, we had her on the uh, show, didn't no, we? No, we didn't. We were going to have her on. and uh, well, She, she got... probably would have had her job if she'd been on the show. <laughs> I think it was back when she was with uh, Chrysler that we were thinking about having her on. But, uh, yeah, it's been very controversial. And, uh you know, uh, we'll see how all that shakes out. I imagine the truth will come out eventually, but for now, it's a bit of a soap opera. That's for sure. Yeah. Patrick Meyer, a regular feature here on the advertising show, Sex and Pipes. What do you think that's all about, well, I've done both of Sex those. and Pipes. Yeah. Let's listen, okay? Welcome to Understanding the Future Now. It's the Marketing Insider featuring Patrick Meyer. Today I'm going to talk to you about sex and pipes. The idea of running things through pipes, new technology pipes that are sexy, that are fun, that involve the consumer. I had a client recently as we were taking them through a full review of technology and where is it going over the next three years and how to bring it together in fusion with marketing. He said, you're talking about sex and pipes. The pipes are the conduits. If you get to them quick, you get news value and you also get a positive halo on your brand for being in new forms of pipes. He meant cell phones, new forms of online, video on demand, new retail technologies, etc. His second point was sex or fun. He was talking about sexy, fun things that come through those conduits. And his point there was delivering your brand through those pipes in a new way gives you an added value, added perception to your brand of being alive with it now. So some people out there would be saying, we have our network TV, we've got a nice ad campaign, we've got radio, we've got print, we're doing everything we should in the standard media plan. But my friends, that's the problem. And please shoot me the next time somebody brings in a standard media plan that does not have new forms of media, new technologies, or what I'm calling sex and pipes. The way to get there is simple. you got to start with a knowledge of exactly what's in front of you that you can tap into. Next, take a look at what you've got asset-wise. What do you have content-wise in your ad campaign, and your product, etc., that would really lend itself to new forms of media, new forms of technology that the consumer is embracing? Then a third piece is get your agency to think differently or get a different agency or an online agency who can respond quickly and is very conversant and creative in these new forums using SMS, using cell phones, creating mobile episodes, video on demand, a whole host of things that are yet to come. Last thing, get started. Just don't think about it. Start by doing one thing, but get moving. I'm Patrick Meyer, and remember, the marketing revolution is now. You've been listening to The Marketing Insider, heard every week here on The Advertising Show. Join us next week for more insight into the future of marketing.
And we're back with the advertising show with Ray Shillings and Brad Forsyth. And uh, thanks again to George Lois. And looking forward to talking with Ellis Booker, editor of B2B Magazine, next week on the show. Mm-hmm. So close to uh, to Christmas Day. We hope you have uh, have a chance to spend it with your family and, and just to take in all of the wonderful things that uh, the season is all about here. So yeah, it's cool. And when you're with your family, tell them about the advertising show. We were oh, told by the uh, by the word of mouth guy. Yeah, the word of mouth guy. We're supposed to say on the program every week. Tell a friend. Tell a friend. So we just did that. Real quickly, Ray, uh, for for the third year in a row, a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame act will be a part of the headliner for the Super Bowl. Oh. Have you heard about who will be this year? No. Uh, Well, not the formerly uh, formerly, uh, uh, artist known as Prince, but it'll actually be Prince. It'll actually be Prince? Prince That'll be be really cool. Yes. And uh, that, of course, is February 4th uh, in Miami. Mm -hmm. And uh, ever since the NFL has, uh, you know, they've been a bit bit cautious ever since uh, Janet Jackson's uh, Nipplegate. So let's go uh, ahead and get Prince, right? Because he only grabs his crotch and gyrates on the stage like Jimi Hendrix. Apparently they've cut a hole in both of his pockets. They expect his hands to be uh, completely out of sight. Yes. Yeah, let's get Prince. Well, he certainly can't flash anybody, at least the top half. That's true. That's fine. (laughs) Jeez, oh, man. That's funny. Well, Prince ought to be good. He's a great musician, too. He is, and supposedly he's calmed down a little bit. Yeah, right. Well, that's what they say. What is he, like 50 now or something? They've got him on some kind of uh, methadone, I I think. (laughs) Hey, I hope you uh, tell your friends about the uh, the, the past couple of interviews with George Lois and and spread them around, and also uh, hope you make a date to uh, join us for uh, our December 31st show with Ellis Booker, editor of B2B Magazine here at the Advertising Show. Advertising Show brought to you by Advertising Age Magazine. You can visit them online at adage.com. Have a safe uh, and happy Christmas. This is a Big Radio Midgets production.